Nonprofit organizations want to be as accessible and connected as they can, often setting up shop in the same neighborhoods as the communities they serve. That makes for a challenge when communities change due to forces like market booms, busts, or gentrification. Today, we bring you the story of how a CEO of a health service organization for the LGBT community partnered with a real estate developer when change came to their Washington, D.C. neighborhood. This is The Nonprofit Experience, a podcast that presents candid conversations about the human experience of nonprofit work, and I'm your host, Sandy Sear. Andy Altman is the principal and co-founder of Five Squares Development, who helped Don Blanchin, CEO of Whitman Walker Health, tackle the challenge of keeping a community-based organization within an increasingly changing environment. We got them together to discuss how they navigated the tension between legacy and change. We recorded their conversation on location at The Liz, the name of the overall project. When they spoke, the building was days away from first opening for its tenants, so you may hear a stray hammer or two in the background. First up, you'll hear from Don of Whitman Walker Health. So um, Liz is a mixed-use redevelopment um, project here at 14th and R Street, uh, Northwest in the Logan Circle neighborhood. Um, Whitman Walker had operated its Elizabeth Taylor Medical Center, its healthcare operations here since 1993. We um, entered into partnership with Five Squares to redevelop about 30,000 ground square feet into approximately 158,000 square foot mixed use. And so we've got retail plus a cultural center, two floors of office, and then uh, four floors of apartments. I was fortunate enough to get through a search process here in uh, 2005 and 2006. Um, and at that time, what the board asked me to do was to really um, turn Whitman Walker um, into something more than just the core place in Washington, D.C. Uh, for HIV or HIV services. And their perspective was way before there was the AIDS epidemic, there was Whitman Walker, a safe space for uh, gay men and lesbians here in Washington, D.C., and that that safe space and gathering was really important. Um, the organization was originally founded in the 70s as a place for affirming healthcare for gay men and lesbians. And this is obviously 10 plus years before the advent of the epidemic. And so they had a real desire to make sure that all members within the LGBT community were going to be served at Whitman Walker, not just those living with HIV or at risk for HIV. And so um, I joined here in 2006 and began that process with the board of how do we take something that was traditionally known as an aid service organization. So we did healthcare, housing, uh, food bank, legal services, a whole bunch of supportive services for people living with HIV. And how you turn this into a neighborhood health center mm-hmm. for the entire community. And as you can imagine, those are significantly different things. Um, they required kind of a consistency of purpose and values. Um, our values and what we tried to do um, always center around aff- affirmation, dignity, and respect. We try to extend that not only to the patients we take care of every day, but also in the business uh, decisions that we make every day. You know, I had the fortune of working with a really supportive set of board members um, and a core team here um, at Whitman Walker, and we began about a three-year transition um, to move from uh, one type of organization to a neighborhood health center model. And then probably the single biggest thing that changed the trajectory for healthcare uh, in our country, the Affordable Care Act was passed. And that really unleashed a lot of new challenges, but also opportunities for Whitman Walker. Um, and since then, we've been really working on the same question, which is, you know, how do we remain responsive and relevant to the LGBTQ community? And then also, how do we do it in a financially prudent and responsible way? And so that stewardship question is a big deal. 
one of the things that came up in our process was um, we have been very fortunate over the years. A small subset of gay men had left us their homes in bequests um, with the idea that they were paying that forward to help at that time Whitman Walker Clinic to thrive. Um, and as long as there was an epidemic, there was a need for more resources to, to take care of more people in community and ultimately find a cure for HIV. And so those individuals paid that forward with those bequests. Um, and those bequests, in effect, laid the foundation for us to be able to even do anything as creative as what uh, our partnership here is um, at Liz. So um, that was a long-winded way to say it was been a long and windy road. Um, it's been probably singularly one of the best things I've ever done with my time. And I work with the most amazing group of people um, here at Whitman Walker with Five Squares, with, with you and others, uh, and then obviously a number of community stakeholders who keep us going all the time. Andy, um, I would love for us to spend a little bit of time, because I don't want to talk all the time. I have four uh, follow-up questions yeah, for you, but go ahead. Don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> I'd love to talk a little bit about um, our partnership sure. and how we got here. And so, um, you know, I shared with you in my remarks about, the, you know, how did we get to this place? And penultimately, for every nonprofit, there's this issue of how do you sustain your services over time. And so um, I can share a little bit about the partnership and what we were thinking, but then would really like to delve into yeah. kind of how you entered, you and Five Squares entered the picture and, and how we ultimately got to the place where we're opening an amazing project like this. Great. So, yeah, so um, our sustainability questions uh, centered around um, needing more space after the Affordable Care Act was uh, uh, upheld by the Supreme Court, having a lot of patient growth, and then just trying to figure out how potentially could we stay in the neighborhood here on 14th Street um, in the Logan Circle neighborhood of Washington, D.C., how we could stay in this neighborhood and still serve people who live and work here. Um, and we were fortunate enough to find um, uh, a lease a building uh, about three blocks south from where we sit today. Um, and we're able to open a new facility in 2015. And that really opened us up to ideas about what could we do with the Elizabeth Taylor Medical Center um, and the site that we'd operated on for about 20 years. And so um, we, uh, as, as Andy knows, um, we had a really elaborate learning process with our board of directors about what it might mean to develop a site. And this site was about 30,000 ground square feet and had development rights upwards of 160,000 square feet. And so we had a learning curve for our board of directors who are largely community members, half of which are patient reps, patient representatives of the clinic. And then we went into an RFP process um, and selected a, a, a dozen or so firms that we felt really, really good about for their commitment to who we are um, and also their principles about how they might develop. And, and that's a little bit where uh, Five Squares and Andy comes into our life back in, uh, in effect, in 2014 and 2015. So... Can you share a little bit, Andy, about that experience for you going through our RFP process and kind of the discussions and what you were learning about us and what you yeah. were learning about working with a nonprofit uh, yeah. along the way? Sure. Uh, there, there's so many things to say. Um, I think one of the most interesting things, and, and maybe it's also, you know, my background having come from large, you know, city planning and public sector background and working in Washington and lived a block away from, uh, from the site, from the Whitman Walker, um, at, uh, 14th street. Um, and so for me, it, it, it was very much a passionate pursuit. And, uh, when we had the opportunity and we're very fortunate to have been invited by Don to participate in the process. And I think what's really 
what I learned and what's really, I think, important, I don't know that I appreciate it as much. And I, and this Don, this is as much uh, tribute to Don and his team and their leadership and how he treats the whole enterprise is he really took the process as who is our partner going to be? And one of the most important decisions, there are many financial decisions and many other very important decisions, but fundamentally it was about what kind of partnership you want, what kind of partner you wanted, that it was it was almost like interviewing um, someone to be a member of your family. And I think Don took the, and the board took the time to be very deliberate and careful and uh, and to go deeper than, uh, than most. I think many nonprofits are un, that are in areas that are uh, have you know experienced gentrification or have had a lot of growth and find themselves sitting on valuable assets in areas that at one time may not have been as valuable or under enormous pressure. And Don had many, as you've shared with us, you know, Whitman Walker and you know lots of offers, people coming up and down 14th Street here, and many nonprofits. Um, relocated and just sold their land and, and moved. And I respect that. They have their needs and their mission and their population has moved and they have any number of reasons to do that. There's a lot of pressure to do that. And the real estate industry is set up to pressure you to do that. For a nonprofit, the people who normally represent the nonprofits, the brokers, their commissions are based on sales. Developers come in and, and throw very big numbers around. Sometimes those materialize, sometimes they don't. Um, and there's a lot of, the, the system is set up. It takes a lot of courage. And that's why I give Don and, and the board a, a, a lot of credit because they really had to step back and almost resist that way and say, that's an easy way. And I think what, they, what I learned through this process was how important the values and the mission, what Don was articulating earlier, the long view of the organ of the health of the organization. I think Don, I don't know if you said that I attribute this to you, but maybe it's just how I, you know, uh, translated it. But you can get a big check and feel great on Saturday night, and you wake up on Sunday morning, and you know what's left, how much have you spent? Because once that check's in the bank, can you protect it? And that's what I heard that. Really clearly, as much as Don and the board may put it in any number of kinds of, you know, lock boxes, so to speak, and create an annuity, it's very hard when there's a big check and you hit the first bump and you have cash and foundations start to think differently about you. You feel like you're cash rich for a moment. Um, but is that long term? And long term, I mean, not three to five years. And Don was thinking really long term, right? And 15 yeah. beyond how to set this organization on a financial foundation. was the importance of listening to what your partner was saying and listening to what Don was saying, uh, who was leading the process. What was he looking for for his organization? And trying to then translate that into a real estate and private sector model that aligned with a for-profit developer is trying to do in terms of maximizing returns 
and what Don wanted in terms of creating a sustainable model, uh, an annuity, uh, long-term ownership, decision-making, and, and then I would say very important to hear the, the values or in some ways the non-quantitative things, right? Which is there's lots of quantitative metrics. We want how much are you paying for land? How much will you pay for rent? How much will, you know, how, uh, a lot of legal documents, decision-making, lease terms, I mean, any number of things that are very technical and, and fundamental. But you also have to hear, I think, to the very important part of what they're saying and, and what a nonprofit is saying. And I think Don set up a process to allow, allow that to happen. And that stayed with me and will stay with me uh, in everything I do because you have to hear what, what are they really trying to get at and not try to take your model and impose it on them. You have to take what they're saying and be creative about how you come up with a new model to achieve their goals. It's just a different mindset. And Don, your process forced that. And the time you took, as much as you were joking before, but yes, it took time, but you took the time because you really wanted to, to push to get to the right outcome and not just the expedient outcome. So the question for you, Don, is how did you have the courage and vision to do that? Where did that come from that you said, you know what, every developer's coming up to me. They're offering me very big numbers. I could walk away. I've been a very successful CEO. I've turned around an organization from where it was. And that was my question, which we can go back to, is how you found it to where it is today. But, you know, you have a new beautiful clinic on 14th Street that's open that is a truly community health, is, is beautiful. People want to go there. It's a welcoming, high-quality health care. Uh, you know, you're respected in the community here. You've done a tremendous job. The service is phenomenal. Um, you could have said, I'm done. This is great. I, 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 I'll sell it. I'll get a big, uh, big check for the organization. There's no one who would ever have said... To you, Don, that wasn't a good decision. You weren't successful. The market would have validated it. You'd have uh, cash in the bank and on to the next thing. And the organization would have would have felt great. Why did you, what gave you the vision and courage? Um, it's, a, it's a great question, Andy. You know, I think the, I think what you know when you work for a nonprofit that has such an impact on, you know, people's lives every day and in community in a place like Whitman Walker that's been around for now 45 years is, you know, you're a steward of something that's really important at the end of the day. And the, the question for me about, you know, that stewardship test, there was a pretty high bar. Um, there were um, really traditional, as you outlined, business decisions we could have made with the real estate. Um, and it would have done certain things and it would have generated, you know, a significant payment which could have been put in an endowment or a foundation. You know, fundamentally, though, that didn't get back to the core question that the board asked me back in 2006, which is, can you make this sustainable? Mm-hmm. And the, the reality of where we were is we were down to a small number of properties that we continue to hold. And you constantly go back to legacy issues of a dozen gay men left us their homes to help us keep this in perpetuity until there's a more just and equal society until there's a cure for HIV. And so this issue of the long view is really significant. Um, you know, we're 30 years into uh, fighting an HIV epidemic. It may be another 10 to 20 years before we have a functional cure or vaccine. 
And so if we just thought about a straight up sale of any of our properties that generates a great payment, which can be used in the immediacy, but really doesn't put us on financial footing. And like so many of the nonprofits that you and, and others in community work with, our funding cycles are cyclic. We have good years and we have bad years. Um, we have changes in government policy. We have changes in payments from private insurers. And so, you know, you really have to think about building um, something that really uh, addresses the long game. And for us, with 20,000 patients in care, um, you know, we need to take that responsibility pretty serious. You know, I think when I look back, there were three things that I knew that I was trying to get at when we were having our board discussions about what should we do with this amazing asset, this amazing property we have on 14th Street. And, and fundamentally, there was a sustainability and economic question. The next, there was a mission question, which was about um, do we have additional program needs uh, or space needs either on this court or, or do we need to modernize other facilities that we have? And we have other facilities, including the Max Robinson Center in Anacostia on the east side of Washington, D.C. And so we had some we had some mid to long term needs that were coming that we knew about. And then the third area was, well, we are healthcare people. We're community health people. We're not developers. We're not financiers. We're not we're not brokers. And so figuring out what that partnership model would look like back to our values of affirmation, dignity, and respect. Economics and mission questions were actually pretty straightforward. The place that I thought was the most unique and, and what I enjoyed the most, and particularly ultimately in having Five Squares and you join us on this venture, has been the process about thinking about partnership. And what fundamentally came out of that, which is something I think is often missing in Washington, D.C., since we're both local, which is the ability to listen to one another and ask questions and keep coming back. Did I hear that right? Is that really what you're trying to do? And really stay in a sustained conversation over weeks and months. Not something really quick that says, you as a developer have one set of needs. Uh, we as a nonprofit have another. You know, how do we get those? And usually around economics, there's a way to get to some common ground. But these other questions of mission and partnership, those other two elements that were most important to us, we needed to have an extended conversation and build some trust. And so, you know, I was grateful always for the contribution, the contributions that you and Five Squares made to that place. And then the last element around partnership, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, Whitman Walker exists as a life force in community. It is supported by community members. It has been, it is, and it will be. in community, um, you and Five Squares were so respectful and understanding who we were, who we are now, and who we might be in the future. And there are many businesses, there are many uh, real estate developers who might look at that and say, yeah, that's really nice. That's a mission-related thing. That's really great for you all, but that's not where we live as a development firm. And so your understanding and appreciation of the importance of community that sense of community then has been threaded back into almost every program or major decision of Liz. And so this would be a good place for you to talk a little bit, Andy, about how did we build community back into this project, knowing that that place and community was so important. Uh, so that's a good question. Um, so I think that's been one of the 
greatest joys of this project of the many, which has been that you, what you're really signing up for, Don, talk, you know, you talk about partnership, is a journey that you may not know the answer to immediately. I think many, I would say just developers, often developers want, you know, they, they, they want to have the end, they want to, here's my role, I do what I do, you do what you do, the mission stuff, I'll do the development stuff, and yes, we'll be supportive along the way, but, you know, um, I'll stay in my lane. Uh, I think what's most interesting and important, and I'd say for any nonprofit about this partnership, is you're really engaging someone on a journey that you have to find a partner who has the openness to that journey, um, and that's what I've loved. So, just to be concrete, I... I and I I do in many ways tribute this because because my background so much in city planning was doing so many community planning processes that to me it was a natural thing and and uh, and my partner um, uh, similarly you know very much enjoys you know kind of interaction and engagement and the kind of creativity that comes from that so for us it was very natural um, and a lot of it as I said was listening a lot of it is being willing to explore uh, different ideas. So Don, for example, I just remember very distinctly you were saying when we were interviewing in the process, you said, look, I, I have some ideas for that, and I'm not sure exactly how they're going to be translated, but I want this to be important to you. So for example, we, this Carter 14th Street, which, you know, has, you know, Don described, you know, has been a, is a very important uh, Carter, uh, particularly for the LGBTQ community, um, Elizabeth um, Taylor Building, um, and the site was a very iconic site, very important, and did not want to lose the identity in some ways of the organization, the institution, that often gets lost in, in fast developing Carters. I mean, a lot of people talk about gentrification in terms of economic terms, but there's also a very important psychological aspect, which is the loss of identity and the loss of community. And I think what Don expressed to us was, how do we do that? How do we establish, not lose that sense of the importance in our, our being rooted in this community, not just in terms of service, but also in terms of our presence and our identity? So that idea, right, we then, you, you, you then think a lot about, and you don't know where that's going to ultimately manifest itself. But... I think what's important is you take a certain lens to this kind of partnership that says it's not just trying to tick a box and put something in a box. In other words, it, it, it is how and God says we want to infuse our mission into all aspects of what we're doing. You literally think about each decision and say together, not just alone, say, okay, which aspect of this do you think is serving our economic goals, which are important? but also our mission-related goals, not that the economics isn't mission, but other non-economic mission-related goals. So what does that mean? When we started to look at, for example, the space, Don, you and your board talked a lot about a cultural center. And you should talk more about this because you're you know, leading this and it's going to be, I think, one of the leading, you know, most important things that's going to happen nationally. And where does that space happen? And one of the ideas was, one of the members of the board said, make sure whatever you do that Whitman Walker's presence is a front door, not a back door. That we in the LGBTQ community, you know, not that long ago had to go only through the back door. 
don't do that to us. Whatever you do, don't put us on the side street, don't put us in the alley, make sure that we have a presence. That meant that the most prominent corner of this site, of this building, and one of the most prominent car, uh, corners on this corridor, literally at the center of 14th Street, uh, is going to have a cultural center for the LGBTQ community. It meant that when we thought about the public space, we thought about that there's no civic space on this whole corridor. It's not something a developer would normally do. It's not, we're not using it for, we have spaces for cafe space, but taking the most prominent corner and working with the city to go to them and say, let's create more space, let's take out parking spaces and expand the area to create a civic plaza, which is the front door of Whitman Walker. So truly an idea, just a kernel of that vision, the front door, the identity of the organization, the service mission, and you can, and so many decisions. Your your decision about wanting to be here in the office space. The any you can go through that. And I think what that says to me is how you work together to look at every decision that you do through this kind of lens. And I think Don, that's what your your brilliance and the organization and what you, the process you set up was to do that. And where we contributed was how do we help translate that. How we're kind of translators of that and we're trying to generate ideas but always holding forward and being very clear. I guess that's an important point of this in turn of is your vision is very clear. I think the lesson for me is that for a nonprofit is having a very clear vision um, and that you're always guided by that vision. And I think that's what I took from it and what you did so so well. Andy, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Uh, I learn more from you every day. Thank you, Don. It's, uh, we're thrilled that um, thrilled to have been selected to be a partner. This is something that's extraordinary and has really um, added so much to our lives, both personally and professionally. So, thank you. Thanks, as always, for listening. This episode was edited by our producer, Preston Whitworth. Shalina Omar is our digital director, and Andre Tidwell is the production assistant. All of our music was composed by David Mueller. I'm the executive producer and your host, Sandy Sear. This show is a listener-supported project of the Philanthropy Journal. You can find show notes and access previous episodes at philanthropyjournal.org. And don't forget, if you can, eat vegetarian meals a few times this week, visit the oldest building in your city, and tell your friends about our show.